0: Okay, uh, so this is our, I guess, technically podcast episode three, but really it's sort of episode two. Uh, One and two were some subject matters that were, uh, essentially it was just like, hey, here's who we are, and followed by like a sort of a part two of this is the type of content that we want to cover. We've since released a couple of little uh, content-based videos that are non-podcast related, and then We've talked about getting a regular schedule for content release as well as podcast release. Um, So a little bit of housekeeping that I wanted to, and I I kind of talked to all of you about was uh, I feel like we should probably start off these podcast episodes with a little bit of information stuff that has nothing to do necessarily with the podcast episode, but rather um, sort of information outside of the scope. And like, so what I called it while we were having the conversation was housekeeping. And so the housekeeping item that I kind of wanted to bring up is just sort of a, like a state of affairs. Uh, I wanted to mention that we do now, obviously we're publishing to YouTube. Um, we do have the website um, poweredbyexplosions.com is up and running. And uh, in there you will currently find links to obviously our YouTube, uh, our podcast, excuse me, and to our Instagram. Uh, I'm kind of pressuring uh, Heidi to be a little more proactive about uh, getting on top of the Instagram and posting some of the content that we're sending uh, their way to, to publish. So you should see that stuff there. We have some really exciting stuff that we think that you're going to see on YouTube here coming imminently. Derek stayed up pretty late working on that. Um, and then as far as the podcast material itself, obviously, uh, I said, the video content is there. You may be seeing like ingesting this, uh, on YouTube. Uh, also you may be listening to this in your podcast. Um, we do have ourselves published through Apple podcasts. Uh, we are available through search through uh, Google Podcasts as well, um, and then given organic, I guess uh, exposure, I imagine you'll probably be able to find us on a variety of other platforms um, as well. So, with that said, that was kind of the housekeeping item that I wanted to talk about. Does
1: anyone else have anything before we jump into the subject matter of this episode? No. No.
2: Look forward to our other videos okay. and our other podcasts. Yeah, we got a lot queued yeah. up to come in, so. We do, in our Golder, our
0: Google folder. Um, Okay, cool. So this particular episode, um, we sort of talked about who we were. We talked about the content that we wanted to create. And so we've got those two things in separate um, sort of, I don't want to say they're categories. They're not categories, but we've got those sort of set out. But let's combine the two. Like we talked about, hi, I'm John, and um, I you know, want to talk about cars or motorcycles or whatever. Like, or we will be talking about cars or motorcycles or whatever. And um, the thought was, okay, well, what kind of car or motorcycle do these people drive? What Like these, these things that are powered by explosions, what are they into? And um, Derek and I uh, have known each other for a long period of time. And we've sort of talked about how we think in most things, Um, our expectation is that we're going to wind up at the same spot, uh, but how we get there is going to be very different. And I would say that if we're breaking things down to like a manufacturer level, we're probably not going to agree on a lot of things. Um, so when we say that our hearts in the same spot, maybe not necessarily. I think that this is where our paths sort of divide and we find ourselves in, um, you know, our journey is obviously different but I think our destination is different too. And, and obviously the same is going to be true of Heidi and anyone else watching this. Um, we can all be passionate about the, the subject matter as a blanket statement, but our individual sort of passions within that field, um, I, I think are going to be a little bit different. And so uh, I figured what we would do is talk about, um, so here's me. Let's talk about what, what do I drive? Why do I drive it? What, what do I like about it? What do I not like about it? And so Um, I'm just going to pick Heidi. I actually saw Heidi, uh, today print out some notes on the subject matter. So almost in an interview sort of scale, let's start with Heidi. Um, yeah. So Heidi, you're Heidi. People have, have sort of seen you in the who we are episode, but, uh, just top question of my list for you. What's
3: your daily driver? Uh, Hi. The daily driver is the Mazda Miata MD. This is 2022. I got it back in November just in time for winter so I could excuse me. Bobsled it around. And that was a fun thing. Um it's I wouldn't really call it a sports car. It's more of a toy at the end of the day. Um top five. Things no offense that I, to anybody. <laughs> Oh, it it's a debatable topic but um top five things that i love about it it's i mean let's just get it out there it's white and that's what really caught my eye about it is you, you put it out in the sun and the paint just itself has a very iridescent quality about it um and it just it's it's hypnotic it's it's a rainbow effect and i'm like ooh it just catches the eye so that obviously is what i like about it Another thing that I've always liked about vehicles in general is efficiency. And I'm just talking about fuel efficiency. Um, My daily commute is about 36 miles, and that's going there and then coming back, which is roughly about 65. And I use about 32, 34 miles per gallon on it. And those are pretty respectable considering that. Majority of the trip is on the highway, and I am doing respectable speeds for that highway. <laughs> so it it really it, it it's fun. It's definitely fun. Um, the more engineering aspect, if you're to like really kind of get to its performance, uh, something that just was a big staple for me for purchasing it is its updated technology. And that really applies to the KPC. It's what they call the kinetic posture um, control. It's very much a computer sensor, but the way it works, unlike um, you might say you can get confused with the t- torque control. The kinetic posture is when you're going around a corner at an accelerator rate, it puts a certain breakage upon the rear wheel itself the inner rear wheel so you can accelerate and then keep in control of the car itself so it eases off the body roll and in a sophisticated manner just gets you out of that apex without feeling scared so to speak you know when you like go around an apex at a certain speed and you kind of feel your tires like giving out this doesn't let you do that so to speak unless you absolutely want it to and then you can find where that where to draw the line with the car so that in itself um i was just fascinated by the engineering component to that i'm like you know what that could be a lot of fun it's again it's not to be confused with um uh, torque vectoring which is then the application of the acceleration and power going to uh distributing to the different wheel components it's definitely not that but it can be confused with that um overall um the exact balance and easiness of the car is just what does it for me at the end of the day um fuel efficient it's small lightweight respectfully um it's fun uh I would change the suspension for sure. But when the factory suspension, it's soft when you get it. So um, going on like different terrains, different roads, like the Pacific Northwest is kind of like a hit and miss. Sometimes you're going to have real smooth roads about 80% of the times, but other times you're going to hit those, those bumps, those, they're still fixing it and it's going to be like, but then the car on its Factory soft suspension just handles it like a champ. I mean, these are all good things, but then say like the cons of it is something you're gonna notice right off on the dealership like floor is they be like, Oh, sit down in it. It's like get in there. And it is small, it is nice, and it fits to you for sure, but as you're kind of opening up the door, the door opens up really wide. And that could be a little jarring because you're like at least it opens up for me it's not a tight fit but then when you're in like a parking structure god forbid you're like in a parallel thing and you're in the city you don't want someone to drive by and hit your door right (laughs) so that could be bad and I always have this kind of like oh my gosh what's coming am I gonna lose my door today right um as much as I love the paint the paint itself is very frail um Just being in the Pacific Northwest, I've gotten so many rock chips on, like, the front bumper, and it just forces me to look up the pricier things. Clear bra? Affordable. Ceramic paint? Overcoat? I don't have the money for that right now. But is it an option later on the line? Probably. Um, Going down the highway at my lovely and respectable speeds, the car itself gets up to at least caps at 143 miles per hour. If you do, so happen to get it up there in the car, I don't even think wants to go that fast down the highway because it gets extremely like wiggly, noisy, and just downright spooky. <laughs> so, yeah, I wouldn't recommend putting it at that bar, even though it can go there. I wouldn't recommend it. It's very scary and it just gets really light and you can feel yourself just kind of glide and you're like am I going to love or am I going to die I don't know but it handles well but you just have to know where to where really your limit is with it um another thing I didn't like what about my buyer's remorse is the fact that I got the grand touring version it's better said, I settled for the Grand Touring version. I wanted the club package with the Caro seats, the BBS wheels, the um, Brembo brakes. All that was in the club. And then, with all the MSRP that I paid then to get the Grand Touring, I could have gotten the club. So I'm like, you know what? No dealership was ordering them, no dealership had intentions of ordering the club. So, yes, it came down to me settling for a Grand Touring md that even to this day still does sting because it's not really what i wanted and i don't i'm not the type of person that i don't settle so this is one of those things where i'm like well at least it's white so <laughs> um,
1: can i can i interrupt
0: you just a little bit so for the sake of conversation on the subject matter um instead of just like a like like a lot of dialogue um So something that you were talking about, I just I kind of had some commentary, I think, um, and I apologize for interrupting you um, on the club bit. working backwards um, is that a lot of dealerships are not actually ordering the club model. So there's a there's like a basic model. There's a Grand Touring model in between. There's a a model that's called the club model uh, that has uh, last year anyway, it had a unique blue, excuse me, paint. Um, and it was the only one that was available that you could order with um, Brembo Brakes, Recaro Seats. I think it was Bilstein Stein, um, Struts, and I think uh, BBS Wheels. So you, you could order that as a package to the club models, right? But um, you're right. Dealerships were not just ordering them and expecting to sell them. You had to physically go to Mazda USA, in the United States anyway, and say, hey, I want a club, put it together, build it as expected and uh, and then have it shipped to your dealer of choice, at which point the dealer would sell it to you. Um, the other thing that you were talking about, uh, about the paint for the individuals that are listening to this, is that um, there are lots of different manufacturers that have their various different paint considerations, but um, the MX-5 specifically of this current N is in November, D is in Delta, ND2 generation, and maybe it goes back before that, uh, the paint is super, super thin. Like um, you can actually accidentally scratch paint off with your fingernail down to metal. You can do that with your fingernail um, on the ND2s. So that's that's also um, a challenge. Um, also, uh, I think you did more research into the kinetic posture control than, um, than I ever did. So I appreciate you sort of explaining the difference that this is sort of sort of a braking component than it is uh, like torque vectoring, which is a output component. So that's kind of cool.
1: Right.
0: Anyway, sorry to, sorry to interrupt you. So to, just to go down the list, uh, I was going to walk you through each of these things so people were following along. Um, we know that your, your daily driver is the Miata. Um, and I, I think you're actually missing something there. Um, the, the one that we kind of skipped, no, you, you talked about when you got it. Um, the question then would be, why did you get it? Like, that was one of the things that was sort of on our list of, of homework.
3: I skipped that question. I apologize.
1: Um, okay. like I said, I I was hoping to just kind of walk you through these.
3: Okay. Um, do you, would you like me to continue? Yeah, please.
0: So, but can we, why did you, why did you wind up with a Miata? (laughs)
3: Um, I originally had a Mazda hatchback and I just, it wasn't doing it for me at the end of the day. And I had got real rear end in it and that ended up sending it to repairs for way longer than it needed to be. It's just how the market was for getting anything Mazda related repairs is the part shortage. And I suffered for almost about a year until that was able to be addressed. And at that point, I'm just like, you know what, what's the appraisal value on the hatch pack? all-wheel drive, practical car, all right, dealership of choice, what will you give me for this? And they're just like, eh, you lost about like $2,000 off it. And I'm like, okay, sure. But is there anything here you would give me for it? And that's essentially where I'm like, you know what, I'll take the little toy car. That would be a nice option. And prior to that, I had just confidently learned how to drive manual and it just seemed like a very good choice for me to go continue on my just one year into learning manual car.
1: Can I ask some questions? Of course. Okay, so um
0: you had a it was a Mazda 3 uh hatchback that was an all-wheel drive trim. Um so I actually have two questions for you. Uh when you say that you know you talked to the dealership and the dealership was um, you know, you, you were kind of looking at at other things at Mazda. Um, I would like to think that you were kind of looking at a Miata on purpose, not just coincidentally. And I would argue that Derek and Ryan had a lot to do with that because I remember days or even weeks prior to this happening, there was a lot of Oh, you should get a Miata. You should get a Miata. You should get a Miata going on. Do you think that that influenced you at all?
3: No, I don't think they were the only influence. For sure, I think there are some other voices in there. But well, yeah, but I didn't but like the other that... options. I didn't like the okay. Other options.
1: Okay, and then so my other question
0: is, uh, you you said that you learned how to drive manual, which that's its own story altogether. And so you continued that sort of journey into driving a manual vehicle. Um, now that you have a Miata, it is a manual. The other vehicles that are readily available in your day to day are generally other manuals. Um, would you? I'm trying to think of the right way to ask this question. If something, God forbid, something happens to the Miata, bam, like a meteor hits it and it just punches a hole through the body, it's completely unrecoverable. Your next car is it also a manual or or, like, would you say that that's not important and it just happens to be important for this car, but it's not necessarily
1: important for your future p- purchases or, or what? Um
3: It would need to be a manual.
1: Okay.
0: Okay, Uh can I ask Derek a question who is kind of here? Derek, I'm kind of curious about something. I think you know the history of Heidi learning to drive a manual. Every single car that you have is a manual. You have an automatic truck, but all of the cars are manual, right? So knowing Heidi, for the period of time that you've known, or you guys have gotten much closer as friends, um, would this is actually a conversation that kind of came up the other day. It was like, all right, if Derek winds up with an H2, which no spoilers, uh, Derek winds up with an H2, uh, no, but, like, literally, there's no spoilers, unfortunately. Anyway, um, if Derek winds up with an H2, it was like, oh, do you think Derek would let me ride it? I was like, no, I don't. And my response was, no, I don't think Derek would let me ride it. My question, then, would be,
1: would you let Heidi drive one of your cars?
2: Um, I mean, she can drive the 8. That's fine. Okay. All right. But... Mm, Okay. All right. I, that, But that has nothing
0: to do with, now that I'm thinking about it, that your answer probably has nothing to do with a manual, does it?
1: No. Yeah, no. I didn't think so. Okay. Sorry to derail I... on, you, on you, Heidi. So uh, we've covered things that you love about your car.
0: We've covered some things that you don't like about your car. Um, one of the things that you were talking about was the body roll, and you and I were recently talking about sort of resolving that with springs and sway bars. Is that something that's on your horizon? or would you say that uh, the the the, na- the factory nature of it being able to absorb whatever
1: Oregon roads throw at you is more important um
3: i want to experiment with that for sure i may end up just being like you know what? i actually really like how it's factory made and then go back to it but uh tightening up the suspension and putting it in the sway bar and like getting the chassis all like snug in there and hitting like the back roads with it uh at higher speeds and just eliminating all potential body roll because the kinetic um the KPC uh, yeah the posture control it's good it is really good however it's not performance good I would say
1: okay um it's
3: it's reasonable speed And it's even reasonable, like, hey, it's telling me to go that corner around 40 miles an hour. However, I'm going to hit it at, like, 55, and you're going to be fine. But if you decide to hit it at 70, you're probably going to feel a bit of a body roll on that. And that's what I'm running into.
1: So... I think you're going to feel massive. Yeah, I do. Okay. Uh, Any other things you don't like about the car?
3: Oh, I recently solved this problem. Factory, it came with two cup holders, and I bought a third one. So I think I solved my own problem there. Um, I know seats? what I signed up for. Yeah.
1: Pardon? What's up, Derek? How many seats to cup holders? Does it come with stock? One to one. Mm-hmm. Now it's 1.5 to one. Well, cup holders to seats. Yeah. Oh. Here we go. <laughs> Yeah,
3: Now I have three cup holders because that makes so much sense to me. Now I can actually pick up coffee for two other people instead of just one other.
1: Um, Well, let's be real. You can pick up three coffees for yourself.
3: That's really what it is. Um, (laughs) But besides that, it's like, I know what I sign up for any type of small two door car is there's going to be a limitation to space. It's not the car to get groceries in. It's not the car to, unfortunately, have to take your animal to the vet in. You're going to be playing Django with the pet carriers, especially if it's, like, over, like, two, two pets or a dog, forbid. Like, it's not that type of car. And I traded a practical hatchback with all the space in the kitchen sink for an impractical toy car because I thought it was a grand idea at the time to bobsled it in the winter and did we happen to do that yes we did i would say we were really successful with that would i recommend the car to other people yeah just know what you're getting into if you i don't know what's a good state um oklahoma just a long straight i don't know if i'd have that same car for a long straight the car is good for the winding roads it's good for the like Narrow cities. It's it's just great for the location that I live in. I have a huge highway that is it is long, but then it just goes into a winding road, winding like streets, and that's a lot of my commute. A lot of the places that I drive, is they're windy, they're narrow, they're think small, and the Miata, it's always thinking and small because that's what it is. Um, it's great for that. In terms of what I recommend it for somebody else, um, it's a reliable car. It's not going to get your groceries, but it's a reliable car.
1: I think it will get your
0: groceries. It just won't get your family's groceries. And you're right. Depending on the dog, you're not going to get that dog to the vet. Um, Depending on the type of uh, sort of environment that you live in, um, like here in the Pacific Northwest, uh, we get half of our year is is okay and half of our year is like less than okay for a convertible um so yeah i guess that's a consideration um a couple of things that i kind of wanted to talk about in regards to your miata is that regarding your cup holders for example um those are prohibitively expensive for a cup holder Uh, so that's a little bit of a challenge um, it is. It is very reliable. What else did I notice about it? Yeah. No. Okay. That's kind of. Oh, so that's what I was gonna say. Is that for the viewers? Um, how Heidi's talking about how she. It's it's a long commute. At the very beginning, you said it's like sixty five miles, something like that, for your commute every day. No, work, it's thirty something there, thirty something One way back.
3: is one. Yeah, thirty and then thirty. So yeah, about sixty five.
0: Okay. Um. And then. You were just now saying that it's like highway, like straight highway, and then it hits like some winding roads. So I'm not going to get into the road names, but where we live, um, there is a straight line for about two thirds of, yeah, about two thirds of the drive. I'm going to sneeze. About two thirds of the drive. And then we hit a um, an uphill that is fairly winding and then uh, going the other way, coming back. Um, you know you've got another fairly you know you got that fairly winding downhill followed by the two thirds of the way back uh straight away but um my thought cuz i just was thinking about this while you were explaining your commute um is that you're going to become because you you go to work every day uh and you've got this mountain uphill and downhill that you got to do like the only thing you're missing is some tofu and folding water uh before <laughs> before you're beaten, folks, you're a master of your downhill. So I don't know. I'm excited to I, I I think that based on the car, your exposure to the car, uh, the the terrain that you have to commute. I would actually say like I'm not saying like this is initial D or something, but I would say that it I I think I've personally seen an improvement in your driving skills. So that's kind of cool.
1: I I'm think the Miata rider. has made you a better drive a better driver. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, like, it goes gotta, on a little ways. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta disagree on one little thing here. I think it's sure. definitely sports car, but it's no kind of muscle car.
0: Yeah, I I would agree with you when she's like, yeah, no, it's a it's a toy car. It's not a sports car, and I I think that might be true for Heidi, because the type of sports car that it is, she has not gotten into that so where it excels tremendously uh in an organized sort of way she hasn't gotten into that so i don't know just the the twisty roads like that's really all it's really meant for yeah right and that's what she was saying you know like it's oh 143 miles an hour in a straight line it's like or if you live in oklahoma no where you're just going straight forever on a flat whatever it's it's for sure a nimble lightweight car uh low on power but low on weight and so Derek and I disagree on that sometimes.
1: So,
2: um, uh, like, but I don't know that we have time. Go ahead. It's very much like the Lotus philosophy: is simplify and add lightness. And yes, they really did. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Anyway,
2: um,
1: I was
0: going to say I don't think we have time to get into it, but I, I would say that Heidi, because like this could go for a long while. Um, I would say the Miata is, in fact, your daily driver incidentally but the fact that it's summer uh i know at least last summer um you had availability that something else becomes your daily driver during the summer but i i wonder if we should actually make that what are your guys thoughts let's talk about our like our motorcycles this is another episode like what motorcycles do we ride this is our car yeah yeah okay all right cool so derek uh or, or sorry heidi do you have any closing thoughts on the miata like i know we covered all the things on the list words of advice
1: for somebody thinking about getting one Uh, Do you have any closing thoughts? Nope. Okay, Derek, what is your daily driver?
2: Well, we alluded to it a little bit earlier. But something like this. It is something like that. (laughs) um, I have a 2009 RX-8 R3 for a daily driver because I'm a silly person. So Okay. Um and so
1: uh the couple of top questions that I think that you can
0: sort of uh what is the word? Self-govern. When did you get it? Why did you get it?
2: Well, so that's the weird thing. I, I got this exact same same Vin car twice. I've bought this same car twice. Um so, uh, God, I I think it was actually August 2017, if I remember correctly. Um, in kind of the middle of some of our firestorm season that year, um, picked it up because I'd been wanting an RX8. I wanted to, you know, have more of an ownership experience. Um, my friend Rob was kind enough to loan me one for about a month, and I drove that around. But it was the first model year, and the first model year has a lot of problems. Um his was in very good shape but it still had a lot of weird issues. So um eventually uh, another friend gave me a referral to a different friend who had this car for sale with I think 38,000 miles on it at the time. So like you know, 8 years old and barely barely driven. Um so he gave it to me for a very fair price. I picked that up, I drove it. It shrugs off corners like they're nothing. I, um, it's, you know, a, an amazing handling car, an incredibly forgiving handling car. So I drove that. Uh, I got a different job where I was going to have to commute into downtown. And because this is the R3 package and it has giant wheels, I didn't want to bend these super rare wheels for that car. I didn't want to beat up a low mileage the most desirable RX8 by commuting into downtown, and also, you know, start to walking a little funny for how much clutching I would have to do in the traffic back and forth on the commute there. So, I sold it. I bought a Lexus IS 300, the first generation. Had that for a few years, and then I changed jobs again, where I work entirely remotely now. So, I didn't need an automatic luxury car. Uh, what? Can I ask real quick? Ask real quick the is hmm. is that's the
0: 2J, the NA?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. yeah, okay. So, rear-wheel drive, still, rear-wheel
2: drive Lexus with the 2J. Okay. Right. So, it's a straight-six, and I, I'd wanted a straight-six-powered car for a while, just to experience that, because it's supposed to be the most uh similar to the rotary smoothness for all the piston engines. Um Shockingly, though, the Lexus is... Less comfortable and less ergonomic than the RX Eight. Like, seriously, so. Um, I think Mazda did a great job on the RX Eight seats. Oh yeah, well, mostly Recaro kind of dropped the ball on one of their pieces on the R Three trim. The little plastic sure. pseudo seat holes, pseudo seat belt holes, the plastic just pops apart all the time. So, um. But anyway, I had sold the RX-8 to a different friend. He had it for a few years. He put, geez, just a few miles on it. I want to say 10,000 or less, maybe 8,000 miles on it. And I was like, ah, yeah, I want to get rid of this Lexus. I want to go back to something better. And so I was looking around trying to find one of the Nordic green RX-8s because they made green for just two years. And I couldn't find any, couldn't find any. And the friend had been periodically saying like, hey, if you want to buy it back, let me know if you want to buy it. And he took me for a ride up on Skyline and really showed me how much that car can do on twisty roads. Uh, He lives off of Skyline, so he's very familiar with that area. Um, And I was scared riding in the passenger seat of the car with how fast it was going through those corners. So eventually I bought it back. Um he'd done a couple nice little upgrades. He put some beefier coil packs on it. He did a racing beat intake. He did a racing beat cat back. And now I have it back. And that's my air conditioned daily driver.
1: <laughs> okay. Um so that covers like the the when and the why
0: you got it. Uh so then let's get into the top five-ish. Uh, things that you like or love about this car,
2: um, and okay. be
0: prepared for me to interrupt you on any number of those
2: topics. <laughs> well, let's let's start from the top. Um, the handling, again, it is I think the best handling car Mazda has ever produced. And why do you think that is? Well, I don't think it's necessarily the most technically fast handling car, but I think it's the best because it's so forgiving and it also has such a high threshold of handling so again mm-hmm. you can rip this thing through the corners and go all the way to the point where you're physically scared to go faster and the car's like what there's no problem we can just go we can keep going faster not to press you
1: but to press you why do you think that is why do i
2: think
0: that uh, the suspension's that good? Well, is it? Is that it? Is it the suspension? Is it the fifty-fifty weight balance? Is it the weight? Is it all of those things? It's the is it just simply
2: because it has a rotary? <laughs> well, we'll we'll get to that one, um, but probably okay. the combination of these things. So it's a very similar um, suspension design to the third generation MX Five. So you have double wishbone in the front, but you have a multi-link in the rear. Uh, you have a very, very stiff chassis. Mazda is great at that. Like you said, it does have an approximately 50-50 weight balance between the two axles. And just the suspension geometry, everything flows so nicely together that the car is very, very hard to upset with the handling. Um, and furthermore, Mazda did a an amazing job on the traction and stability control in that car especially comparing it to the IS-300, which has an actually dangerous traction control mode. You you literally should turn it off every single time you start that IS-300 because if you go over a sewer cap and it detects a tiny bit of tire slip, it will slam your throttle shut for like three seconds. And like, oh God, what happened? There's no traction. I better turn off the throttle. Uh. And if there's an emergency and you need to go, you can't go. So, uh. so, so you're saying don't try
0: to don't try to run train tracks with a train coming.
2: Yeah, definitely not in that is three hundred. <laughs> go okay. over the hill. All right. Um. So second. Um. I gotta go back. It has a rotary engine, obviously, for my wall of things up here. I'm very big into the rotary engines. You can't see it. I'm wearing a belt buckle with a rotary on it. I'm I'm super about that life. Um they're great engines. They have some problems. The RX8's version of the engine has a lot more problems than the others. When Um, you say you
0: are you're all about that life, I would agree that's a that's a good statement because it is a lifestyle. Committing to a rotary is a lifestyle.
2: Yeah, you're not wrong there. Um, so, we'll come back to uh, the Renesis on the the problems with the car. So, number three things I like. Um, This is going to sound real weird for me, but Mazda did a killer job on the air conditioning setup on that car. Like, it blows cold enough that your fingers get cold if you're running it at maximum. Even on a, a crazy hot day, like, Today, we were at um, uh, 101 degrees on yeah, okay. over here. And I went for a drive to go pick up some stuff at Lowe's. The AC was blowing much colder than I would have expected for a black car with black interior on one of the hottest days in Oregon summer. Um, number four, we'll say it's very practical in a number of ways. It's got four seats, the rear seats are actually usable, unless, you know, you're a basketball player sitting in the front, then you you need a legless dwarf in the back seat, um yeah, but otherwise, if you know you're each under five foot to nine or so five foot eight, you can fit four people in there. people won't be super uncomfortable uh even larger people can sit in the seats comfortably. It has a trunk which is very useful if you're going on a trip, you know lock things away and actually get stuff out of sight properly. Um is really valuable because my other two cars don't have that, and my truck doesn't have that. So it's the only one with actually secure storage. So sure. appreciate- um Yeah, and it's the revised version of the car. So as Mazda has a habit of doing for some reason, it has better-looking taillights than the Series 1 cars. <laughs> okay. Top five things you dislike.
1: Oof. Number 1 on the dislikes. Fly-by-wire throttle.
2: Yeah. I I strongly dislike that. Um for all the things that Toyota did wrong on the traction control system on that IS 300, the one thing they did really right was how they implemented it. Um so it's an actual braided steel cable driven butterfly with a step motor mechanical override so you get all of the precision on that throttle pedal but you still have the ability to override it for traction control or whatever other purposes you want to throw in there um i got a real bad taste for the fly-by-wire when i borrowed that 2004 rx8 uh that one is actually dangerous to the point where You can roll on the throttle, and sometimes the computer gets confused and says, no, I'm not going to open the butterfly anymore. And you put the pedal to the floor, and it's like, no. And you're slowing down on a hill that's not very steep in a gear that has plenty of power, and the car is slowing down. And you have to let off the pedal, touch it again, and then it wakes the computer up and like, oh, crap, the throttle. That's what we're doing. And then the car accelerates up the hill in the same gear, even after slowing down. Is this so, why you're so jaded by Drive-By-Wire? It, it's a lot of it. Um, <laughs> likewise, on the Series 1 RX-8, you can't feel out the throttle and the clutch. If you do that, you will either kill the engine or you will rev up to 3K and hop. It's You know, Drive-By-Wire has gotten a lot better since 2004, right? Right. And it has, particularly on the 2009 Series 2 RX-8. It is much, much better. But, but, it's still much worse than an actual cable-driven throttle body, because every once what in year a while, is it's the 2009, it's the revised version that has all of the updates and fixes to it. You know
0: Drive-By-Wire has gotten a lot better since
2: 2009, right? It might have, but <laughs> even if it has, I I still see it as an unnecessary failure point, because I know okay. what with... You know, you have a yes, potentiometer switch understand. and you're pressing this throttle all day long and eventually it's gonna fail or the stepper motor is gonna fail or the wiring to the thing is gonna fail. And these are all problems that you generally won't have on a cable driven throttle body. Unless you I live have in a throttle cable snap. Right, but mm. that was probably exposed to either salt air or salt roads or both. It Which was just we
0: wear as it went through the firewall. Um, it was on a Nissan Sentra. It was just wear as it went through the firewall.
2: Oh, well, I, I hate to say it, that's just poor design then. Oh, no, it was, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, and if they they skimped out that much on that, that makes me further worried about their fly-by-wire system. But... Um, so, even though it's much, much better than the 2004, it's still bad with the fly-by-wire, I still occasionally kill it, and I can't start from a stop at as low an RPM as I can in the RX-7. In the RX-7, I can start from a stop under 1,000 RPMs all day long, every time. The 8, I, I have to rev it up to about 1,500 to consistently take off from a stop. Otherwise, I will still kill it because it doesn't have enough precision in there. So, Okay. okay. There's my my number one complaint about the Series 2 RX-8. Okay. Number two complaint, the Renesis is a flawed version of the rotary engine. (laughs) And I hate saying that. Because Mazda did a lot of good things. They got an amazing amount of power out of a non-turbo rotary. That's great. Awesome job, guys. And they sacrificed all of the side seal life to accomplish it and you know there, there are various opinions about the, the side port exhaust Um it gives them much better control over the exhaust timing which lets them extract a little bit more energy and burn a little more completely helps obviously power and emissions and does some good things but if you're concerned about getting more power overall the side port exhausts are a restriction Um and they've you know, got some kind of modern problems where the coil packs are not as uh, beefy as they were on the second generation RX Seven. That's kind of what it is. So,
1: um, number three, you don't have to have oh, five. If you just go, no, there's, there's, there's
2: only three things wrong. But no, no go ahead. there's, there's more. There's more. Um, the the Bose stereo the rear amplifier goes out all the time <laughs> so okay so that's not Mazda that's that's
0: people Mazda put using it in though Bose I know that is people using Bose as the OEM the number of times that I've had a Bose system fail that was factory installed by the manufacturer it, it oh my god I've had a Bose system fail in a Corvette I've had a Bose system fail in two Corvettes um uh what else did it fail in? Was it a Lexus that Bose... no. I think they were using something else. Anyway, the number of times I've seen a Bose system fail as an OEM installed component is just ridiculous. Anyway, go on.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and it, it seems to fail in every single one that has that stupid Bose premium system. It sounds fine when it's working. Well but you all- pay
3: more for that. In every yeah. single car that in every single car there's a markup for it's- uh amplified bose system.
0: It's it's usually like a Bose system is a premium audio like package um yeah. and or just part of some of like the upper tier um like modeled cars. That that's what one of the other Bose things was. Um it was in a vehicle that used a Bose amplifier and the issue was is that the uh the ohm value for the speakers was something Weird. So it's just like, hey, if you're going to install aftermarket speakers and the Bose speakers will fail because they're made out of paper, good luck finding speakers that have that homage. And so you're going to be driving really weird stuff. So the only way to get around it is to rip the audio out of the entire car. Like, it's like, cool, replace the head unit because the head unit doesn't know how to talk to um, anything. God, what was that car? I think it was a Lexus. Anyway, and so it's just like cool, take all the seats out because you got to pull the entire stereo wiring harness out of the car all the way from the head unit in the dash all the way back to the trunk where the amplifier was and you got to uh you didn't have to pull the wiring, but you had to map out and tap into the wiring just to reuse the wiring.
2: It was it was so bad. Anyway, go on. I'm so sorry. No, you that's part of the reason why I don't like that Bose system is like, they they send a weird distorted signal to their own proprietary amplifier that corrects it for their own weird speakers. And if you want to change one component other than, you can swap the head unit out for a different one, but do almost anything else and you need to replace the entire ecosystem. The speakers, the amps, the tweeters. It's all, the Thanks, Bose. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've lost count of where we are. So... I'll just hit real quickly. at four. At four? Okay. So if we're only counting to five, I'm going to say Mazda never fixed the taillights on these cars. Because the (laughs) trunk lid just dumps water into the taillights. And there's no... (laughs) It's the only place the water can go is just create little swimming pools at the top of the taillights. And then as soon as something's less than perfect, it seeps in there. And then your taillights fog up. Or turn into little fish bowls. Someone did someone that did. once and it's kind of cruel. They
0: actually filled their taillights uh, with enough water that they had betas swimming around, a beta in each taillight. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yep, that would do it. Okay, um, so uh, the next question that's on the list is Would you recommend that someone else get an RX8? And I think there's two ways to ask this question. If someone didn't know, Anything about what they were getting into, and they said, "Man, I'm just looking for a great, really good handling sports car that has a bow sound system and leaky taillights What should I get? Would you recommend them get an RX-8?"
2: So there's the weird thing. It's the problem with the RX-8 is that it's really a car that should only have been sold to people that are already into that rotary life, because I, I it, would agree. The the engine will need help at some point. Even the, the Series 2 engines, they last a lot longer. They might make it to like 180K before the side seals are just too far gone that you don't get that low-end compression to start the engine. Once it's running, it's totally fine. But it's that starting compression that you actually lose first with the seal design. Um, put that aside, though, and absolutely recommend the car. Again, well, seat- so and that's the two
0: questions is like someone who has no idea what they're getting into, you would say probably no. But then as a as an enthusiast or someone who has an idea that this is gonna be a, a reliability and time sink and money
2: investment, absolutely yes. Yeah. And and that's the conversation I've actually had with a number of people that have approached me like, oh, nice car, man. da 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 and I I ask them like are you are you really into rotaries and like you're committed to doing a rebuild at some point or you want to buy a shell and do a rebuild so that you start with a fresh engine and get you know a good ten years of life or however much out of it and if they say oh no I'm not really into that or I don't I have an apartment and I can't really work on it and da 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 I'm like oh okay you're probably better off getting an MX five. Go drive right. an, yep. an Indy, and you'll have 90% of the important benefits there, but you won't have any reliability concerns other than if you get the soft top, which I'm not terribly a fan of. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, there's one other question left on the homework. Uh, and then I'm
0: actually going to shift it up a little bit. Surprise questions for either or for both of you, actually. So the last one, though, that's documented is. Words of advice for somebody who's thinking about getting an RX-8.
2: My advice is definitely buy a Series 2 car if you can find one in good shape. Um, Tell us what a Series 2 is. So the Series 2 is the 2009 through 2012 um, model years. They're really easy to identify because they'll have the wheels with the rotors cast all the way around the outside, and they have the quad circle taillights. So double circles on each tail light. You definitely want to get that for, it's got a slightly nicer interior. It's the next generation of Mazda interior design. It looks a little bit more professional. Um, it's got a much better engine design. It eliminates the poor oiling setup that they did on the early cars. Um, front bumper doesn't look as good. But. If you're going to buy an RX-8, you definitely want the Series 2. If you can't find a Series 2, then my advice is buy a Series 1 shell, like the nicest, cleanest shell you can get, and then plan to build an engine and call up Pineapple Racing and ask for their Series 2 RX-8 rotor housing adapter kit, because that will give you 95% of the benefits of the newer engine. Um, They moved the oil imports around, and the Series 2 one actually lubricates things in an adequate way Um, don't buy a series one a 2004 through 2008 and just try to run the engine for a long period of time you might get lucky you might get some life out of it but so many of those engines fail at unreasonably low lifespans like 30,000 miles 50,000 miles 60,000 miles and it was just a cluster it got better when they adjusted the oiling frequency but it'll never be as good as an engine with the Series Two router housings. Sure.
0: Um, so a little bit of history for people, and I'm not bashing on the RX Eight; it just is what it is. Um, there, and and we're not going to get too deep into it, Derek. You, Derek, you would actually be able to explain it a little bit better as to the the circumstances and the details surrounding it. But um, the performance—I don't want to say the performance—the engine reliability became such an issue. Um for the early generations of them that Mazda actually pushed out sort of like a warranty program to uh swap motors, or it was already part of the warranty program. But it got it got to the point where they were just like, hey, we can't fix these motors. We're and so they were just putting brand new motors. And so in the early days of the RX8, um, it was extremely common to see non-running RX8s. Like with flawless exteriors and interiors, with less than thirty thousand miles on the chassis, that just didn't run. And so you could buy RX eights all day with non-running motors uh, for just a couple grand. And and I think the thing is that that's probably true today still. Is you can buy lots of them. And so it kind of makes me ask this question before we get into the surprise question, um, uh, Derek. If somebody came to you, and I know that you have a philosophical, like sort of line in the sand about this but if someone came to you and said hey i want an rx8 and you know we've already talked about would you recommend someone buy one and someone comes to you and goes i want an rx8 i know about the rotary situation i'm not prepared to deal with that but i want one for everything that the chassis is with the expectation that i'm going to put a different motor in it how do you like could you recommend that set aside the philosophy and the spirit of the fact that it's not a rotary anymore could you recommend some of them do that
2: yeah, I mean, it's, again, it's a great chassis on its own if you disregard the whole engine question. Um, like I said, it's very rigid. It's reasonably light for a modern car. It's 3,000 um, pounds. Great suspension design, great handling. You've got options for every sort of coilover in the world. You could go Ohlins if you want to be, you know, on the the usual premium recommendation there. Um, you have a huge wheel selection. You've got enough room in the fenders. You can put bigger, wider wheels on it. Like, it's a great chassis in every way. Okay, cool. Um, and and so just kind of looking at the metric that
0: you just gave us uh, really quick. It's a 3,000-pound car, but it has four seats and a trunk, and it's got four doors. So um, oh, two, that, and two, that's 000. fairly impressive. Well, yeah, but but it, it's fairly impressive. So, that's cool. Okay, surprise question. And this is actually both of you, but Derek, we're already with you, so I'll start with you first. Um, so, Heidi drives an MX-5. She said that that's her daily driver. What is your top number one like about the Mazda MX-5? Specifically the ND, the
2: ND2. Ooh. Oh, that's that's interesting. I'm going to say... Um... The lightness of the car. Okay. Top number one thing you dislike about the ND2 MX-5? Uh, that they come with a soft top by default. That's really my biggest okay. problem. And for people
0: that are looking at the ND2, or, or any Miata for that matter, um, uh, hard tops are extremely ridiculously expensive for them. Um, like, when... I mean, we're not talking the cost of a car for a hardtop, but we're talking thousands of dollars for, for a quality one. So uh, just bear that in mind. Um, okay. Right. Uh, well, some of them like have plastic windows, not glass. They don't have uh, defrosters. Um, some of them, their ceiling is just kind of not great in the way that they, they hold on. So it, it's all over the place as far as the quality. I, I was really impressed with the NB hardtop that I had that was color-matched. Uh, I actually think it was first party. So, um, but it was really good, and they sold the thing for like two thousand five hundred dollars. So, because I got tired of hoisting it off the car on nice days. Um, okay, and then the the final question for you, Derek, is: Would you recommend someone else get one?
2: Get an ND. An an, an ND two MX five. Oh, absolutely! I, I recommend them, like we were talking about actually more than i recommend the rx7s or the rx8 at this point and because that was the
0: question so now they're standing in front of you and they go i'm gonna get your car Derek. like i'm gonna and your car winds up in my driveway or heidi's car winds up in my driveway which one's it gonna be for for this other third party who's like i can push a button and one of these cars will become mine not like you're gonna be missing yours not like they're oh are they gonna steal your car or heidi's car but that by methodology of cloning they're either gonna have a series 2 rx8 or an ND2. You wouldn't download a car. Right. You absolutely would. I would download the shit out of some cars. Anyway, um, okay, but what would you recommend? Uh would would you I mean, so I'm sorry, you would recommend that they get it, but what you are saying you would recommend them get it at MX5
2: than the RX 8? Yeah, most of the time I I do actually. Like real Is that world, because of the yeah. engine? Um mostly because of the engine. Um, you know, it's obviously a newer car, it's much more efficient. Uh, I ran out of reasons to complain about the RX-8, but I I definitely have some complaints about the fuel economy on that. It's the same as my 310-wheel horsepower RX-7, but it doesn't make 310-wheel horsepower. No.
0: No. Heidi, you're getting 33, 34, something like that out of the Miata? uh,
3: My average is 33 to 34, yes.
0: And I'm not, like, throwing Heidi under the bus or anything like that If you guys want to look to say, what's the fastest highway speed limit in North America? There's something that will tell you what the fastest speed limit is on highway speed limit in North America. But it is very common that we are cruising speeds. Just cruise control is on and we're going down the road with the flow of traffic, 85 plus miles an hour. It's very, very common. So you're getting 33, 34 at somewhat regularly 80 to 85-ish miles an hour regularly uh
3: when i start to get into 80 it's about 32.
0: okay but, but it's, still but it's yeah. still in 30s okay. yeah okay cool so heidi going back to you then what's the top you, again you, you've never owned one but you've been in it you've been around it top number one
1: thing you dislike about the rx8 <sighs> it's a little archaic uh, well you were saying actually that like, some of your favorite stuff
0: is the technology package and the amenities that the ND has. So
3: technology is ever evolving and I think with that comes a level of respect. I'm not saying um the features on the RX8 are bad or wrong. I do feel there are certain components that could be overly engineered to make it a bit more reliable. But it's very hard is to Be driven and then expect to be worked on. And that in our society, we don't make the common driver, isn't that driver? The common driver isn't the driver that it's like, hey, when do you start taking care of your car? Derek is like, I'm gonna start taking care of my car the moment I drive it off the lot. Most people, I guess, will start taking care of my car when it tells me to, you know? And even that, they'll be like, so
1: oh I'll park. Can I take this down on. the road. Exactly. Yeah.
3: So it's just it's a different person. And as I said those vast majority of people they're not like Derek. Um and that's like, really kind of what it comes down to, I think.
2: That's a, I love your perspective on that. It's because it's so different from mine. Like the the archaicness of the RX8 where it it doesn't have any like Digital screen things it has an old like analog clock display kind of a thing, and all the dials are actual physical mechanical needles there's no virtualized dials there's no car play and I actually think that's a feature for me, not a a downside so it's it's I don't really think
3: it's a down- I don't think it's a downside it's just it's not for me um I like I can switch screens I can Look at the pressure in my tires, and it's just digital There's so many different safety features. It's like, I can't every single day get on, like, my knees on the ground and be like, I'm going to check the pressure of the tire. The computer will just tell me. Mm-hmm. Like, there's certain components
2: It does have TPMS, but it's not advanced where it can tell you a pressure. It's like, you're good or you're not good. I see.
3: Ours is not even a good or not good. It's a, it's in a number. So yeah. in that respect, it's like, I appreciate it taking, I guess, the handy, the the extra mile
1: out of it. It yeah. makes it My easier, 2000... but then it just makes it easier. Hmm. My 2002 had a TPMS that
0: gave me her tire within a tenth of a PSI. So
1: that was a Chevy. Yeah. Step it up, Mazda. No. Anyway. Okay, Heidi, so what's your favorite thing that you like about the RX8? It's withstood the
3: test of time. It can and it can still do exactly what you need it to do. And even when it does, hey, I need some work done. You know exactly when it does. Like with the new cars that are coming out, I don't I don't know what's gonna happen. Like, I want to do certain modifications to the car, like Supercharger, for example. That's a fat dream. you You can do turbos and other things on his car and all those modifications, as he says, under the, like, everything, but I don't have those yet. Eventually, I guess I will, because if I go back in history, all the other Miatas, they have those mods in, but I'm just not there yet, so I'm in just a weird kind of waiting pattern with the car. It's either... I'm going to wait forever and a day for modifications that I would like to do in the car to happen. And then realize that maybe I just don't want to drive this car anymore. Or, I mean, the cool factor about the RX-7 is like, there's tons of different things you could do to that thing. There's tons of different things. So that's really cool to me.
1: So
0: kind of what you were saying about the stuff that you don't like, the the archaic nature of the RX-8 or in like maybe an RX-7 um, is actually sort of the pitfall of the are the, the MX5 for you in that you know like uh, so for anybody who's just watching or listening to this is that um, turbo kits and and supercharger kits do exist for the ND2 um, MX5 but there's a massive massive electronic issue um, that exists as far not as not just electronic fueling. it's even
3: fuel. Like the fuel well, issue as a Well, it's the fueling
0: based on the electronic capabilities. That's what it is. I mean, you can you can eliminate the entire computer and just go like standalone and map it all out, but then you lose a lot of the amenities that makes it what it is without going backwards in you know in direction for a different Miata. Excuse me. Okay. So so yeah, okay. Cool. Um, and then so last question for you, Heidi, then on this is Someone is same situation. Someone's come up to you and they said, "Hi, hey, Heidi, you're the trusted advisor. Do I go get Derek's RX-8 or do I get your MX-5?" Uh,
3: question after question. You give me a question. I have a question. Where are you going to use it for? Um,
0: you don't. Derek's... You don't get to know that. You just. You have to make a gut choice.
3: I would go knowing Toyota. what you know
0: about your car, knowing what you know about Derek's car.
3: I would go absolutely with Miata. It's proven to be very reliable. Um, I can't trust us that that this individual is going to be working on the RX-7 and that it needs to have. It it needs to be worked on constantly, like tuned.
1: RX-8, yeah.
3: And the Miata, I'm not saying that it doesn't need to be worked on and looked after. It's just it's not going to have the same issues.
1: Sure. Like, it doesn't have side seal issues. <laughs> so,
0: okay, cool. Um, So that leaves me on the list. Do uh, either one of you want to get into it, like, interview style and interject and stuff, ask questions, probing questions, or you just want me to kind of go through my
1: own list?
3: Well, I mean, we can ask the question and you can answer. Sure. I think I just blitzed through all the questions and I was supposed to have, like, a q You did, and I was like,
0: ah, oh, this isn't a conversation. This is just a wall of dialogue.
1: I clearly don't want
3: to have a conversation, so I'll just go... (laughs) All right, so what is your daily driver then?
0: Glad you asked. We'll get into motorcycles Mm. later. But um, (laughs) so all the way up until a couple of days ago, uh, my daily driver was also an ND2 MX-5. However, um, as of just less than a week ago, uh, it is now switched over to a late
1: model, so a, a twenty fourteen um, Lancer Evolution X, Lancer e- Evo ten.
2: Well, that covers the first and second questions, because the second was right. When- That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah. When did you yeah. get it?
2: All right. Yeah. So the next question is, why did you do that? <laughs> Ooh, uh, so that sounded like an accusation,
0: Derek. But... Oh, sorry. <laughs> Why he's
3: too sensitive? He's too sensitive.
0: Yeah, he no, knows. no, no. It's okay. It, like, it, I think that, okay, knowing
2: if you, you know went, anything at all about back, Evo X's, you went backwards eight years on the, the model year. I did. So I had a 2022
0: ND2, um, and now I have a 2014 um, Evo 10. So. <laughs> But, but what I was going to say is, Derek, I don't take any offense to the way that that sounded like an accusation because if anybody knows anything about an Evo Ten, I think it's fair that they ask that <laughs> as an accusation. so um it might not be r x eight bad, but also it might be worse so um yeah, so why did I get it? You know what I actually don't remember. I have no idea. <laughs> But I remember, I, I just remember one day we were something, we were doing something, and it was like, yeah, Evo 10. And then 12 hours later, I was at a dealership, like, looking at, like, calling and, and scheduling, you know, appointments to go look at Evo 10s. So why did I get it? I think there's a lot of philosophical answers that I could say now, like, why would I get it? Why I did get it? I don't know. I don't remember. Um, so, so as to not leave that on a dead spot, though, why would I get it? Um, Derek's known me for again quite some time in a car sense. Derek, like you, could put it to words better. I, I don't know exactly what it was that you would say, but like, like I think the simplest way is it, it
2: fits my mo. I think. Yeah, because you've always had a. a like, profoundly stated love for Boost and love for all-wheel drive, and the Evo's got both, it may not have as many cylinders as you would want, but they're at least in the right orientation in a straight oh, line. yeah. No, I definitely I want six of them in a straight line
0: with Boost and uh, and all-wheel drive. That only makes for one or two cars in the world. But anyway... Isn't
3: it um, uh inline-four,
0: though? The, right, so the EO is an inline-four, and inline-six oh, no. is ideal.
3: Yeah, that's about to say. <laughs> uh,
0: there, there are very few hero cars that fit that category. All-wheel drive, there's lots of ugh, cars that have all... A Jeep Wrangler could be an inline-six with all-wheel drive. <laughs> that's technically four-wheel drive, but, but you know, there, there's lots of BMWs that have inline-sixes, turbos, and um, all-wheel drive, but, but no. Um, a GTR is a dream car. I've had lots of, um, now granted, they're in a V configuration. I've had uh, 3000 GT VR4s. Um, so I think one of the things that you're missing is, um, is uh, heavyweight cars. Like, I, I apparently like heavyweight cars
2: that have all wheel drive and turbo, but. But do you actually like it for being heavy, or is that incidental to the other feet? It probably is
0: incidental. Like, if you told me, hey, you can have let's use the evo 10 okay you can have an evo 10 that weighs what is it 3400 pounds is what we looked it up at 3400 pounds something like that 30 36 i don't think it's 38 it's not 38 there's no way we let's go i'll meet you in the middle and say
2: 36 no now i gotta look damn it (laughs) when we did look this up before every search i found said 38 was the floor for those cars from the factory, no. The Mitsubishi
0: Lancer Evo X GSR has a weight of three thousand four hundred and thirty nine
1: pounds. Oh, I was wrong. A
2: little yeah. heavy.
1: So, thirty
0: four hundred pounds.
1: A muscle car. It's a Japanese muscle car.
0: Anyway, uh, it? it's not. The Japanese muscle cars had six cylinders. Um, yeah. Okay, so thirty four hundred pounds. But if someone came to me and said, "Hey, you can have an Evo ten. With 3,400 pounds, exa- like factory, like if you've got your back seats, you got your, I don't think they actually put sound deadening material in there at all. I don't think they did. Whatever. Anyway, the, all the stuff that you would get in a factory stock car, or you can have one that weighs 2,400 pounds and everything's the same. It just weighs 2,400 pounds. I think I would take the 2,400 pound one. Like no questions asked. Uh, because I don't. I don't think, Mitsubishi or anybody else that did it, like these these other cars that I really like, were like, oh man, how do we just arbitrarily add a thousand pounds for no reason? Like, let's just put a ballast in there. To and we're not even gonna fifty 50 it. We're just gonna put a ballast for no reason. Like, um, you got any phone books that we can just put in the in the under the hood? Because anyway, no sandbags or something. Um, I don't think that's what's happening. So I I think it's, it's a side effect of the cars that I'm into.
2: I I didn't hear what you said. Sorry. Yeah. So we used a tungsten engine block. Right. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Right.
0: Um, I actually, to my defense, the Evo X is the first Evo in the history of Evos that uses an aluminum block. All the other ones were iron block. So look at me on a diet. (laughs) anyway um so yeah uh the why I got it I I don't remember but it's kind of been on my list like if if you said hey John what's your top 20 cars that you'd want to own because I don't think it's in my top 10 but if you said your top 20 cars that you'd want to own consecutively they all you have a 20 car garage fill it I I think an Evo would have been in there
1: um so yeah why did I get it just now I don't know um yeah
3: Sounds like you never what owned one
1: before.
0: I have not. No, this is my first Evo. I've owned lots of other things from Mitsubishi. Um and what was called the DSM, which was the uh, collaboration between uh, Mitsubishi, Chrysler, and who was the other one?
1: Um I don't remember. No. Oh, wait, the Eagle. They they rebranded it as yes. the Eagle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So
0: I've I've owned I've owned stuff from them. Um, but I've never owned an Evo. So yeah, no, um, here I am with an Evo.
1: Okay. Well, what are the top five things that you like about it? So I like the boost. I like the all wheel drive. Um, yeah, I mean, those are my,
0: those are my major things. What do I like about the Evo X specifically?
1: Okay. If I close my eyes and just peek through like a little, little pinhole of a crack.
0: And so I don't get the full picture of the car. Um, I really like the front end of the car, the front grill. It's just this really aggressive front end, especially like as it as it climbs over that aggressive masculine powerhouse of a front grill up onto the hood that's factory vented and everything and looks like that. Uh, I think I like that. Um, so the boost, the... Um, the, uh, the love okay the boost the um the all-wheel drive system um the the visual aesthetic of that I really like that big wing in the back I don't know that I'm a huge fan of the of the trunk like like the rear face of it necessarily um I see a lot of people that oh, pull off the like diamond the triple yeah it's it's very it's very it's very rectangle like almost like and so I see a lot of people that pull off the Lancer Evolution badge and the Mitsubishi badge on there. And then it just turns it, it further accentuates just that wall of nothing, especially if you don't have one that has like um, like the access in the back. There's no keyhole. There's no nothing. It's just a wall of whatever color it is your car. So I, I like the spoiler. I like that front end. Um, you know what? Uh, I actually like the uh, the Evo 10 specifically. I don't know if the eights or nines or any of the other prior ones came with this um that's three uh i really really like the fact i love cars that incorporate performance manufacturers uh, or performance third party part suppliers into their factory builds so like we were talking about how your mx5 you could have gotten brembos or you could have gotten Ricardos. the the evo 10 comes with brembos you couldn't get one without brembos uh, it comes with Ricardo's. You couldn't get one without Ricardo's. Um, so, yeah, I like the fact that they incorporate that. And this, the last thing, number five, if you will, uh, but this one's going to show up on the other list too. I really love the fact that I can put five people in that car. Um, and we found out recently that you don't have to be five, nine, or shorter, like Derek was saying about the RX 8. You, you can be big and and you can put other people in that car comfortably I actually sat in the back seat while I was just reading uh the other day and it's a it's a nice place to be I mean it's not like a luxury car but for a rally car it's a nice place to be so um yeah that's my five things
2: yeah I I gotta agree with you on that seat texture I really love that it feels very nice um yeah
0: I'm actually terrified that uh, as I get in and out, because the front seats really hold on to you. I'm worried about that as I get in and out of that car, I'm going to burn through that fabric, and I have no idea how I'm going to resolve that. Like, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to go to anybody and be like, hey, reupholster this in the factory Recaro fabric.
2: I don't know. You should be able to get something close, I'd imagine, but...
1: I hope so. Yeah. Um... So five things you dislike about it. This is really
0: easy to do. Um so you know what I was actually thinking about as we were kind of going through each of our cars. Um I was thinking, it's really easy for me to find uh five things I really don't like about the RX8. And it's really easy for me to find five things I don't like about the Evo. It was a lot harder for me to find five things I didn't like about the Miata. The only thing that I the ND2, the only thing that I didn't like was uh the limited space like extremely limited space um that's what you're and, buying I, I know i know and mm-hmm. the body like that's it like I, there wasn't really anything else that
1: i really just bleh, gets under me about the miata
2: there was one the thing you is can- most about was the carplay leg.
3: Yeah, well but
2: that's his own technology.
0: That's Yeah, failing. you can you can overcome that. Um. So, and that's the thing is there's things that you just can't overcome without changing the characteristic of the vehicle. And the way that you overcome that is you plug in Android Auto and it's, and it's 99% of the time fine. So okay. So, but the Evo though, five things that I hate about it. I don't like four door cars. I don't like sedans. And it makes sense for the Evo. The Evo wouldn't be the same thing if it wasn't a sedan. Um, It would be uh, a Mitsubishi Eclipse GSX, uh, which is the all-wheel-drive turbo um, Eclipse. Or it would be a 3000 GT uh, VR4, which is an all-wheel-drive... No, it wouldn't. It would be the Eclipse. So, uh, because the Eclipse is a single-turbo, four-cylinder, two-door, whereas the... um, the 3000 GT VR4 is a six-cylinder uh, twin turbo. So, whatever. But, yeah, no, I just don't like four-door cars. So, yeah, that's one thing I don't like about the Evo is that it has twice as many doors as I want on the car. Um, the other thing that I really don't like about it is that uh, Mitsubishi put all of their money um, <coughs> into the power plant and the drive. Eh, maybe not the drivetrain. But they put all of their money into the into the into what the car is supposed to be and none of it into the interior, minus the seats. And so, everything rattles in an Evo X. Things that shouldn't rattle, rattle in an Evo X. Um, The the speakers, I actually took one apart, is made out of, it's literally made out of paper, but I, I think it's even recycled paper. Like, so, I don't know, it's not good. And they rattled themselves to death. I don't believe someone blew that speaker. I think that it just vibrated itself apart. So um, yeah, everything rattled. The the headliner rattles. Um, so whatever. One of the most common interior parts that I can find for an because I I went on a part search for the Evo 10. One of the most common, and it's kind of expensive too. Interior parts that I can find for an Evo 10, headliner clips. So anyway, uh four doors everything rattles
1: um let's see don't like that
0: Ooh, the drivetrain so i was going to say like uh they put their i was going to say they put their money towards the power plant the drivetrain i think they put their their money towards what it's supposed to be i'm going to say that very generically but some of the engineering components of an evo 10 I'm not going to go into a history lesson, but it's called the Evo 10. Can you guess which generation of the Evo it is? It's the 10th one. Some of the engineering failures that exist in the Evo 10 should have been sorted out in the Evo 4 or 5 or something else, not unresolved, when they pushed out the Evo 10 Final Edition. Now we're done. It shouldn't have still existed. And I don't know if it existed in the earlier version, so maybe maybe they made it up. I don't know. Like they were just like, oh yeah, now look, here we got. It. They've been doing all the drive. They should have figured this stuff out. I don't know. So as a multifaceted sort of driveline issue, um, the transmissions are not, they have some challenges. Apparently here's something neat. English racing says a factory transmission and its internals are good for over 700 horsepower. They say the transfer case is good for over 700 horsepower. They say the rear differential, as long as you address the differential pins, uh, is good for 700-ish horsepower. Cool, but the problem is, is there are little things in there that have nothing to do with the load that are just like, ah, we're gonna break because it's Tuesday or whatever day of the week. We're just gonna break because the sun set today. Like, I was watching a a guy that I know, very casually know, who lives up in Tacoma, um, who had to pull the transmission, disassemble the transmission, just to replace a clip that he went and bought at Ace Hardware for 50 cents because he couldn't shift into fifth gear but he spent hours pulling that out to do that because a little clip that has nothing to do with load broke it lost part of its tooth and so it just didn't clip anymore it allowed a rod to slide unrestricted um there there's i I just ordered a whole pile of parts and some of these parts that came in almost all of these parts are specifically um, are are just reliability parts so my transmission doesn't shake itself off. So the so when you shift, it gets cable shifted, the transmission's up in the front of the car. Um, so that when you shift, the shift cable doesn't disconnect somewhere at the fork and you have to drop the transmission to put it back on. Like, really? They're like, ooh, don't shift too fast or you might need to drop your transmission. It didn't break, it just, the cable slipped off. Good luck. So there's there's stuff like that. Um, so we we said four doors rattles itself to death. I'm gonna call uh, I'm gonna call um, those that five because there there's just driveline things. Um, no, I I think the closing one we'll call that four and five is that there was a Mitsubishi Lancer, and it was an Econo car that Mitsubishi made. It wasn't the most Econo car, but it was an Econo car. If, if you needed a cheap four-door sedan, you could buy a Lancer. And that's what almost everything but the power plant and the drive line and the driver and passenger seat are in a Lancer Evolution is an Econo sedan. They they literally dropped an Econo sedan over a performance rally car and, and called it a good day. So
1: take from that what you will. Anyway, that, that was my rant.
3: Well, I feel like I already know the answer to this one. Would you recommend someone else to get this car?
0: Absolutely under very very and I think that we all have the same thing. Like it's like under very specific circumstances, yes. Like, hey, should I get one of these cars? Instead of going yes, no, the follow-up the follow-up response would be, I have some questions. And and then (laughs) I'll tell you. And with the Evo X, the questions that I have to ask are Are you comfortable doing Are you comfortable researching on Google for your symptom? to find a very well-documented problem and solution. And if you are, okay, next question. Next question is, lots of cars nowadays have a, um, a longer, like a modern car, Heidi's car, for example, has a like a 7,500 mile, and you could honestly stretch that quite a bit. You can almost yeah. go up to 10,000 mile maintenance schedule. Are you willing to cut that in half for an Evo 10? Okay next question are you planning to take uh, a significant other or a dating prospect or whatever in your car and they don't know anything about cars and so the only thing that they are going to care about are the touch surfaces that they physically come into contact with because if you're not comfortable with your google foo and and finding the problem and doing the solution yourself. It's going to be super expensive because all oil drive stuff is very expensive. Uh, are you okay with religiously doing your oil changes every 5,000 miles or less and checking on your differential fluid and your transmission fluid and crawling under there with a stick to poke out your EVAP system so it doesn't smell like fish because the drainage port for your <laughs> air conditioner is so low that it scoops up dirt and it makes air <laughs> smell like fish. Uh, it, like If these are things you don't want to do, no, don't get this car. Final question, like, when this girl or guy or whatever it is that gets in this car that doesn't know crap about cars gets in and goes, man, why is this car so loud rattling itself to death? And the dashboard, it looks like it's made out of something neat, but it's actually like spit and twigs held together with chiclet gum. Like, if they don't if that matters to them no it like if you if your job it like you might have to take the ceo of your company and he doesn't want it and he doesn't know about cars he's not into performance cars
1: no do not get this car like like mm, it it's just that's all
3: um so you're saying it's a it's a project car at the end of the day it's very much signing yourself problem. up
0: no, not necessarily. The problem is, is that you cannot buy a brand new Evo. Every Evo now is a used Evo. So you aren't, it isn't a project. It's not, it, not necessarily. That's actually the problem. That's a bigger problem is that these cars are like the, the bag of Legos that you get for a six-year-old. You didn't get them a kit that they just follow the instructions and assemble the Death Star. You gave them the kit and said, hey, did you watch Reading Rainbow today? Use your imagination and build something. Because that's what every single Evo is, is someone else's project that you've now inherited. And so your job is to either live with it, undo it, and change it into something else that, that you need it to be. No, living with it isn't an option. It has, yes, it's someone else's project that you have to continue to maintain and or undo. And turn it into your project or or it just starts off as your project. Like you know what you're getting into and it's your project. Because if if you want to try to live with it, it will rattle the, the ceiling off, literally, it will rattle your headliner off, your your trim to the floor and explode because the relay and the engine bay decided, oh, he went into a high fuel situation and we didn't know to switch over for that. So we're just gonna turn
1: off. And now the car detonates.
3: It's fitting for the title of this. You really went (laughs) all out for us.
0: Yeah. So that's uh, what I recommend. I have some questions. Uh, To lead myself into the final question, words of advice for someone thinking about getting one. Don't go shopping for one unless you find one that is 100% unmodified which is not possible unless you find a unicorn in the wild of one that is not modified do more than 12 hours of homework before buying one do not do what i did where i started shopping 12 hours in and i don't regret it but i also come equipped with decades of mechanical knowledge and understanding that unless that's you and even if it is you honestly even if it is you the only exception to this of my advice for thinking about getting one without doing a lot of homework and or finding one that is completely unmodified is if you have unlimited budget. If you have unlimited budget, fine, buy any Evo you want. Like, it doesn't matter. You literally just go online and just find, close your eyes and just click like, like you have cerebral palsy and just no offense to anybody that does. And, and just click and whichever tab it is
1: that opens first, go buy that Evo if you have unlimited money because it doesn't matter. You're making me feel a little bit better about the eight, <laughs> I, I think I, you
0: I, might get better fuel economy in your eight than I do in the Evo. What do you
1: get, uh-huh, like eight?
2: But I get better oil economy. <laughs> 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 well, there's there's that, but just the the reliability thing. Like we know exactly what's going to fail in the eight, and about when it's going to fail, and it's very predictable. And everything else is pretty shockingly reliable. Everything the on Evo the
1: Evo is will very fail. It will not
3: tell you when,
1: but expecting
3: it's very reliable on the Evo.
0: But people have brain aneurysms with no indication that there was a problem, and they show up for work every day. They never call out sick. They whatever, and then one day they're dead. That's an Evo. Is that <laughs> it? Like it? It could be totally fine, or that relay could fail, and you've got a blown motor. And now you need thirteen thousand dollars. Oof. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> so uh, to ask myself the other
1: questions, what is the number one Miata. thing? Number <laughs> one thing that I like about the RX Eight, um,
0: I actually really like the rotary of it. Like I, I like the nature, the spirit of the rotary of the RX Eight. The number one thing I dislike about the RX Eight. Is the rotary of it, um so there's that the number one thing, yeah, the, specifically, yeah, um it, the number one thing I really like about the miata, the n d two, it's probably the aesthetics they're very pretty cars to look at from the outside, um, just even factory, they're just very pretty cars. The number one thing I dislike about it, uh Heidi kind of touched on that is that um it is at a point nowadays where um it is at a point nowadays where there are things that an a, a, like a high level of, like a really really enthusiast a gung ho enthusiast would be interested in doing that just isn't isn't reasonable yet and that's coming from me who has like a boost addiction so yeah um and then between the three all three of the cars which one would I recommend someone get? I'm with the both of you. I'm going to tell someone to get the MX-5. For sure, get the MX-5. But circling back, uh, for some flattery and some for, for some negging, if you will,
1: uh, Heidi, what's the number one thing you like about the Evo? Uh, <laughs> nothing. I don't like anything about that car. <laughs> uh, eh. I should have added that to my notes. We'll come back. Derek.
3: No, aesthetically, it actually reminds me of your dream car. So when I think about that, I'm just like, it's cute. And that's how I like my car. I think it's just cute. But I recognize it's just a stepping stone for you.
1: It's a cute stepping stone would appreciate being called cute.
3: It's a cute stepping stone. It looks like it's trying to be a, a very muscular all-wheel drive GTR.
2: John this <clears> is where <throat> you flash a picture of it over the screen. Like, <laughs> the screen. <laughs> yeah, I guess you have a picture you can get with cute question mark? <laughs> I I'm not I'm not sure I see cute on there. Uh, I don't I not see cute. I hear you Heidi, but I I don't see cute.
1: All right. What's what? your number one thing you dislike about the Evo? It's a brute.
3: It is. That's true. It's, uh, it's a brute. It's it's noisy. Yeah. it uh, has no apologies for whatever it's gonna do. Like, Evo's gonna Evo. Yeah.
1: It's true. It's true. <laughs> okay, Derek. Number one thing
2: you like about the Evo? Um, I, I've probably got to agree. I actually like the aesthetics all around for the the exterior. Um, okay. I love the seat in it for the interior. The gauges are fine. The rest of the interior is like whatever. Like you said, just some economy car with nice seats. But yep. the outside, it looks great. Um, particularly, I think... The head-on front or the um, quarter front views are really, really good. But I also have no problem with how the rear looks. I actually like the very chopped, sharp, angled uh, trunk. I think they did a much better job on that than, say, like the first generation Mazda 3 sedan, where the trunk looks kind of ungainly large. But it works for the Evo. Like, it, it fits with all the rest of the aesthetics, and it's very good. Okay. I I could see that. I, I would agree about the mod stuff. Um okay. I would also uh, say I think is... it looks very angry and aggressive.
0: Not cute. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I, I like on the front end, it, it goes to that like I'm a brute and I don't have any like, apologies for anyone.
2: Yeah, he's he's looking like this. It's like <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. how the the thing. Of evil
3: is I'm I'm comparing it with the GTI, which is just like it's
1: you're Out, specifically it, talking it, about which DTR, yes. though. Because uh, they all look very different. Yeah, they all you do.
0: Know, don't they? That's an R35.
1: Oh, R35, uh, probably. Let's just take okay. that one. Because I can't quite use okay. the Nismo for this
3: one. So let's take that one. Like, it's trying so hard. So I'm using the phrase cute as sarcasm.
1: Okay. Okay. Derek, number one thing you dislike about the Evo? <laughs> um, got to be the weight. It's going to be the weight. He's fat-phobic. It phobic. is the weight. God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean,
2: so you let me drive it. I drove it around for, like, 15 minutes. Yeah. Uh, actually, driving it in, in that limited context, the weight was not as upsetting. I think it would be for me for the longer term, but the more immediate thing, it, uh, like the switching gear, didn't feel good. So you, you you flip like the turn signal switch, and it it feels, uh like my Frontier's turn signal switch. I'm like, ugh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So some of those, some of the parts they they skimped a little too much on. And the the economy car much. shows the economy car shows through a, a little bit too much in some areas where it really shouldn't. Um, like Mitsubishi is a very capable company; they can make great electronics, and then they chose not to in their Halo car, which right, right, and you weren't sure if the door was full of bees.
1: Oh yeah, that that other speaker that was. <laughs> yeah. What is happening here? Yep. Yep. Okay. Um,
0: and so now that we've introduced an Evo to the mix, I'm assuming, I feel like it's safe to assume, neither of you would change your answer. We we all vote the MX-5 is the car to recommend to someone. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> cool. So after trimming this, I think we're going to be still at like an hour an and hour. 40 minutes, something like that. Because um, we're just under two hours right now. Uh, So my question then is, do either of you have, that That covers our topics. I feel like we're good on that. We're done on that. Uh, That's our daily drivers. That's our thoughts on our cars, on each other's cars. Um, Does anyone else have anything that they wanted to cover today, right now?
1: Thoughts on um, prior something that, that occurs to you, something that's coming up in the future that's not a spoiler that occurs to you?
3: Um, I'm
1: actually curious to see how we make this Brute
3: a little bit better.
1: So That's coming. I've got, uh, thanks to some circumstances, uh, there will
0: be a video. There's going to be a quick couple of videos uh, that change the daily experience slash reliability
1: of the car. Um, So I think that'll be good. Something you were saying, Derek, that I Should get like a uh, i was
3: thinking we should get like a time lapse of you putting on these different components
1: i i don't know oh no that's for sure nice. gonna happen yeah
3: just don't get mad because that's gonna show up as well and you usually get mad when it comes to this stuff but I
1: don't know, we'll just pass <laughs> forward through it. it'll
0: just be going really fast yeah no um <laughs> like when you're working on something and you drop a bolt and it's like cool now i gotta spend three hours taking this apart to get my bolt back no um yeah, something I was thinking when you were talking about the livability, Derek. I'd be really, really curious to see what your whatever would be if you just took the Evo for a week and that became your daily driver for a week. I'd be really curious to see if your opinion would change. Uh, we already all know the Miata. Uh, I'd be really curious to see what maybe like Heidi's experience might, like, how she might feel about like an RX-8 if she drove one for a week, like that was her daily driver. So, uh, yeah, that might be something as we get further down the road, that might be something I think that we should experiment with maybe. So, Hmm. all right, cool. Um, we'll go ahead and wrap it here then. We'll see you on the next podcast episode. Um, and absolutely stay tuned for the next couple of days because we've got uh, a handful of things that are coming out. We've got some motorcycle stuff coming. We've got some, um, buyers guides regarding motorcycle stuff. We've got some recommendations on on aftermarket parts and uh quality of life of your motorcycling day-to-day uh content. Uh we've got some of the same stuff regarding uh the Lancer Evolution. So um yeah and then maybe here in the immediate to near future i uh, we'll be able to look at what um Heidi's experience is regarding that body roll um by tightening up the suspension a little bit. That should be pretty neat to do. Although I hear front sway bar maybe is a bitch so I don't know. Yeah. I
1: don't know. Okay. Alright, cool. We'll catch you
0: guys later. Take care, everyone.
1: Yeah, your rotary <laughs> symbol. <laughs> Bye. See?